generations to come. Good afternoon. It is December 7th, a Wednesday afternoon at 1.04 p.m. And this is another edition of the TDN Writers Room podcast brought to you each week by Keeneland. I'm your host today, Bill Finley. Bill, great to be here. Zoe Cameron with First Racing and XBTV. And Randy's deserted us for the podcast. Looks like Doodle behind me has deserted us. So it's just going to be the two of us, a nice cozy couple for the next podcast. Randy needed the week off. Who are we going to miss more, Randy or Lucy? What do you think? Oh, Lucy. Lucy doing dead dog behind him, most definitely. Sorry, Randy. I love you very much. But definitely Lucy is the star of the show. I think Randy would actually probably agree with that. Hey, so let's get right into it. Uh, The big last weekend of racing in New York for the year, topped by the Cigar Mile, the Rems and the Demoiselle. Lots of talk about there. Zoe, I got to tell you, you know, you look at the horse that wins the Cigar um, Mind Control. Is he a superstar? Is he a flight line? No. But is he an admirable horse, the type of horse that just puts a smile on your face? He is something else. Is there a gamer horse out there in racing? When he wins, he never wins by four or five lengths. Matter of fact, usually he gets in a dogfight. Looks like he's going to lose, as it did this time out with get her number past him at the eighth ball. Comes back to win again to win probably the biggest race of his career at age six. Not only that, as a two-year-old, he won a grade one stake, the Hope Bowl. As a three-year-old, he won a grade one stake, the Alan Jerkins. How many horses do you see in this day and age, particularly one who's not a gelding, win a grade one at two and another grade one at age six? I mean, there's a lot to like about this horse. What a neat horse. I mean, he's basically a throwback horse. If you think of his career now, he started off with Greg, Greg Sacco. Todd Pletcher took him off, took him on later in life. But the fact it almost reminds me of Beholder. The fact he won a grade one as a two-year-old, taking down the grade one hopeful, and then a grade one as a six-year-old, going out in his swan song to win like he does. His last four wins where he's crossed the wire in front have been by a head. I mean, he's about as game a horse as you're ever going to get. Todd Pletcher's quote, if you like racing, you have to love this horse. And that purely is mind control. He's a horse that... We've seen time and time again, you you kind of wish that he'd been on our lips maybe three years ago. He's just the horse that's just kept going and been consistent over his course of his career. But And what an effort. And just to think, you got three to one on mind control if you love it. It's like his, his parting gift was a gift of money going off at three to one. Zandon's over bet every single time. And you know, rarely produces. He's just a horse people love to bet on. But mind control at three to one? I mean, come on. Well, again, that was because, as you mentioned, the, the money came in on Zandon, who was a disappointment in this race. Uh, get her number was second. Why did Barrio ran much better than he has uh, recently to finish third in there? But uh, kudos to uh, mind control. He's going to go off to stand at studs somewhere. We don't know where yet. I mean, again, it's the same sort of thing. He's not going to stand for 200000 like um, Flightline, but I'm sure he's going to make a good sire for somebody out there. I'm pretty sure he's going to New York, which is going to be excellent because mm-hmm. most of his big races have been in New York. He compiled a 12 for 29 record over the course of five seasons. And it's a rare you have a jockey, Johnny V, who basically said, I've ridden this horse for five years. When do you ever hear that? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was terrific. And the fact he went out a winner for Todd Pletcher, also trains his sister, Queen Goddess. It looks like we're going to see her carry on next year as well. It, it's just terrific. A really feel-good race was the grade one cigar mile, at least in my opinion. 
It sure was. So the other stakes races on the card, let's start with the Remsen. And last year, what a good rendition of the Remsen it was. It was won by Mo Donegal, who obviously went on to win the Belmont. And um, Zandon was second. He went on to win the Bluegrass. You mentioned him earlier. So you had two horses come out of there to win major grade one races. So I think it's pretty safe to say we're not going to get that this year. Um, on paper, it really wasn't a very strong race. Um, the winner is uh, W and I don't even is WNL uh, coming off a of maiden? Yeah, coming off a of maiden win for Danny Gargan again. Take nothing away from him um, to win in a mile and eighth this time of year for a two-year-old is notable. It shows that they can go the distance. But again, that race kind of on paper lacked star power. And I think it was as it was run, it sort of lacked star power as well. So yeah, WNL. It's D U B Y something. I've got no idea. I did ask Danny Gargan. I'm like, how is this WNL? Like, I don't know. It just is, but. Uh, he's a pretty solid performer, and uh, I think we'll see him along the line. Looks like he's going to go down to Florida and then perhaps come up for the Withers. Was the Remsen the best Remsen edition we've seen? No. Is any Remsen the best Remsen that we've ever seen? Probably not. I mean, over the years, it's probably not been the best prep for the Kentucky Derby, but the horse did get a chance to go two turns, and uh, I thought run with run very nicely with his ears pricked at the wire. So we'll find out more about him, perhaps, in the Withers. The other big race at Aqueduct was the Demoiselle. And uh, here's a horse that people will get a little bit excited about, maybe a lot excited about. But Julia Shining's an interesting case here. Um, she wins the race. Now, from the pedigree standpoint, you got to love her going in. She's a full sister to Malathot, who won the Demoiselle in 2020. Malathat was going to be a champion when the, the championships come out later on uh, or early in 2023. She's got this great pedigree. She was impressive in her first win. She comes out and wins the Demoiselle. But, you know, frankly, Zoe, I wasn't really impressed. I mean, first of all, the buyer number came back terrible, a 70. And, you know, she was kind of a little bit like her older sister. She was just grinding away the whole time and, you know, didn't really never look like she was, you know, going to dominate the field, kind of hard pressed to win. I mean, with that pedigree trained by Todd Pletcher, et cetera, I'm not going to give up on this horse by no stretch of the imagination. By the way, Pletcher won this race for the eighth time. Dem was wow. amazing. Um, so. But, you know, from right now, if you look, we we're talking about um, like Hoosier Philly and Wonder Wheel and Justique that, you know, the real stars of this division. I'm not quite ready to put her in there. I, I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Bill, because I think that she, it's just going to take her a while to figure things out. To me, the one thing that is glaringly obvious is that she doesn't want to get that beautiful, pretty face of hers mm -hmm. dirty. She cannot handle the kickback, and it was sloppy kickback. She was actually just in touch with the field enough to get plenty of kickback. She was almost covered when she turned for home. But after watching a train all summer at Saratoga, she started off the initial meet at Saratoga. I'm like, wow, she's going to be a freak. And then she tailed off a little bit throughout the summer, and then she came back with that fantastic win at Keeneland, how she won, nobody really knows. And then she comes back with a similar effort over a track that she obviously hated. I've got to give Louis Sayers basically an Eclipse Award for peddling the whole distance of the Demoiselle. I mean, he truly won the race for trainer Todd Pletcher and Stone Street Stables because he rode her every single step of the way. Once she gets clear, she just grinds for home. I think she has a lot more to give that we're just mm -hmm. not seeing. And she's going to learn in her starts as she goes along. Now, perhaps the biggest um, thing that went on this weekend was Stone Street 
and the fantastic weekend that they had. Not only did they breed the winner, they own the winner. They also bred the winner we just talked about in W.Y. Nell, who's by Good Magic, who is caused by Carolyn. So basically what we should be talking about is Stone Street and what a fantastic breeding operation they have. Obviously, this filly is by Carlin. W.Y. Nell is by Good Magic, who's by Carlin. It all goes back to Carlin. So um, I'm not going to give up on her. It looks like she'll go to Palm. Uh, where is he? Palm Beach? Palm Beach Downs. Palm Beach Downs. He's Palm Beach Downs, yep. Palm Beach Downs. I always get them muddled up. And then she'll probably follow what Ness did. Uh, a story came out today that she's probably going to run in the Suncoast Stakes, which is February the 11th. So she'll get a little bit of a wee break. She's likely to fill out a bit more and get bigger. She's a big, framey filly. Uh, that, along with the fact that she just doesn't get going in her races, begs me to mm -hmm. believe that the older she gets, the better she's going to get. And the fact that she's actually won two races, I don't care what kind of number she got. Who cares? Right. Just visually right. watching her. It's fun to watch, isn't it? Sure. But Zoe, uh, would you put her in the same sentence as Hoosier Philly, who on this podcast, you know, the three of us and Randy involved were raving about? That's the type of thing. Maybe I'm being a little bit, raising the bar a little bit too high, but I wouldn't put her in that class. Now, can she get there? Sure. But right now, I don't think she could, you know, come close to a horse like that. Not now. Not now. But I mean, wait until next year. She's a filly. I mean, we're all forgetting that she's going to get better with distance. I mean, distance is going to be yeah, basically the ace in her pocket. And the Kentucky mm -hmm. Oaks has run over a mile and eighth. And it's a mile and eighth, right? Not mile and three sixteenths. Mile, mile and eighth, eighth. yeah. And uh, that's going to be her distance. I, I'll have no question going up against Hoosier Philly the first Friday in May, should they both get there. She's going to be a grinder. Right. She's going to be just like a sister. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't she be? It sort of looks like it, doesn't it? But anyways, we'll find out more about her uh, next year. She's obviously done for this year, and then we'll see what she does. But a loaded uh, two-year-old filly class, soon to be three-year-old filly class. A lot of really good horses in there uh, as well, so we'll find out about that. Now, Zoe, uh, let's go out to Delmar. I think you, uh, Randy, and I made a mistake a couple of weeks ago on the show. <laughs> we went over our Eclipse Awards, and we were warlike goddess, warlike goddess, warlike goddess. She's going to be the one for the Philly and Mayor turf. Um, never mind. I can, I totally <laughs> take that back. Um, we forgot about Regal Glory. And I think we also forgot that there was still one other very big race out there for the, um, older fillies and mayors on the grass. So let's look at Regal Glory after she wins the matriarch by five and a quarter lengths. She's four for seven on the year with four stakes wins. The important, uh, the most, to me as a voter in the Eclipse Awards, the most important number is she's won three grade one races. I love Warlike Goddess. She's awful good, but she's three for five on the year with one grade one victory to her credit. I'll be at a big one because she beat the boys in the Joe Hirsch, but uh, I have totally changed my mind. Regal Glory, Chad Brown, you know, this just assembly line of talent he has when it comes to Phillies and Mayors on the grass. And he loves to go out to these races in the West Coast at the end of the year and just, you know, picks the picks the, uh, the pockets clean of the West Coast guys. Wins with Regal Glory. She was dominant. She won by five and a quarter lengths. And with apologies to Warlike Goddess, she's no longer my Eclipse Award choice. No, she's not going to be. She's four for seven on the year, like you mentioned, three grade one wins. Um, it's a generally a case of what have you done for me lately? Yes, um, Warlike Goddess was third in the Breeders' Cup. This filly was 10th. This mare, excuse me, Regal Glory was 10th. But then she comes right back and wins a grade one. And that was a sublime performance. 
I mean, I think she clocked 11 and won that final eighth of a mile and just absolutely finished like a freight train down there under Flavian Pratt, who was picking up, I think, his fifth win of the day. And then he came back and won six of eight a little bit later on. So Regal Glory obviously sold in the January sale for 925000 to Peter Brandt, his white birch farm. Uh, just fantastic. I could watch that race over and over again and watch her finish. And to think she's six years old. And a lot of times you may think that, you know, mares are at their prime at five. And why did they bring her back into training at six? I, I mean, good for them. I mean, she's been terrific all year long. Yeah, well, we can find out what the reason they brought her back. They knew that they, what they had there. And it looks like they will get an Eclipse Award on that. And in a similar situation, the voters might have to face coming up. Um, you know, we also, also said that Epicenter is a three-year-old male champion. What if Taba wins the Malibu? That would give him three grade one races, three grade one victories on the year. Whereas again, Epicenter, kind of unlucky to only won one grade one. But in fact, he did win only one grade one. So, you know, what do you do about that? I'm going to keep an open mind on that as well. I think you have to. And I think one of the problems that the Eclipse Awards have is it's that the Malibu is in the holiday season. And a lot of people put it, I don't, I, I mean, I'm the last minute person to do anything. But a lot of people already have in their minds, even if they haven't done it yet, will have uh, put in their votes for Eclipse Award and will have forgotten that Tabe is going to run in the grade one Malibu on December 26th. I was talking uh, to Gary Young about this the other day, the guy that bought Tabor. And uh, he said, well, what if he wins the Malibu? I'm like, it might not matter because a lot of people put their votes in. They shouldn't be allowed to put their votes in until right. December 31st, as far as I'm concerned. And you shouldn't be allowed yeah. to make up your minds until the last grade one races have been run. Yeah, I mean, nobody should vote until after this. And maybe Epicenter will win no matter what. Uh, like I said, I'm, whereas with Regal Glory, we already know that she won. She gets my vote. Tave, of course, has to win this race first. But if he does, that's going to set up a, a really interesting question there. Because um, a great, as good a year as Epicenter had, he did win only one grade one race. And that's normally the main criteria I use when uh, evaluating who I'm going to vote for for champions. What about Speaking Scout? How good was he for Grand Motion? Terrific. Taking yeah. down the Hollywood Derby at odds of 10 to 1. I mean, you want to talk about a terrific little horse. He was a $3,000 yearling. I think he was purchased off his second career start by Eclipse Thoroughbreds, and then he takes mm -hmm. down the Hollywood Derby. A terrific job yeah. by Graham and his assistant, uh, Alice Clapham. Yeah, well done indeed. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Just remember, the Keeneland catalogue is now online for the Keeneland January Horses of All Ages sale. The Keeneland has catalogued over 1,500 horses, including broodmares, broodmare prospects, short yearlings and horses of racing age, plus stallion prospects and stallions. The auction will cover four sessions from January the 9th through January the 12th. The most recent graduate we just talked about her name was Regal Glory, three grade ones this year. She was purchased for 925000 at last year's January sale. You better be at Keeneland January if you want a grade one winner like Regal Glory. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say... This is racing, this beating heart in the heart of horse country, steady and strong beneath the roar. 
reminding us why. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. He was just put together like a machine, and he had a great mind. Everything about him was what you'd want. Tis the law pops the cork in the champagne. Tis the law is going to win the first leg of the Triple Crown. I've never seen him get tired. Respect the law. Tis the law. His structure is just perfect. His bone is perfect. He's left the others behind. He's going to win the run, Happy Travers. He's everything you would look for in a horse. The TDM Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. It was just announced that Grade 1 Travers winner Epicenter will be new to Coolmore America in 2023. The son of Not This Time will stand for 45000 in his debut season. So let's get this right, Randy. Coolmore has five new stallions in 2023. Corniche, Early Voting, Epicenter, Golden Pal, and Jack Christopher. Who's your pick going to be? I know who mine is, but, but who do you like? If you had a man to breed, who are you going to? I'm going to Jack Christopher. I've been really? a big fan from day one of him. Really? Yes. Very fast, very talented horse. Why not? All right. I might be a bit biased. I'm going to Corniche. Proven around two turns. Right. A really good two-year-old. Yeah, we, everyone says, who did he beat? Who did he beat? But I'm not sure we ever got to see how good he really could have been as a three-year-old. So some really, really exciting prospects coming forward for Coolmore America. Well, when we were doing our weekend in review, we were concentrating on the big races in New York and California. But Zoe, there was a race in, at Laurel that really caught my attention for a number of reasons. First of all, it was the Maryland Juvenile for Maryland Breds. You don't think anything special is going to come out of that. The winner is a horse by the name of Post Time. And he has been ultra, ultra impressive in his three lifetime wins, including this race. This was his first ever stakes appearance. He just galloped. He made a move on the turn. He looked like a Razi almost. Who did he beat? Of course, that's a big question. I don't know who he beat, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, come to the conclusion, I wouldn't rule this horse out as maybe a type of horse you might see in a race like the Wood Memorial or something down the line. But you know what I really got a kick out of? The jockey on the horse is someone by the name of Eric Camacho. <laughs> Who is he? Have you ever heard of him? Well, I don't remember him. In 2016, he retired and went to work as an exercise rider. All these years later, he's galloping this horse for trainer Brittany Russell, and the thing is a handful. He's just a rogue. He's all over the place. In his first two races, he was weaving in and out of the stretch. And Brittany Russell and Eric Camacho got together and said, you know what? You can handle, Eric. You can handle this horse. We don't know about other people. You're familiar with him. The horse is being ridden by his exercise rider. He is three for three on the year. Eric Camacho is undefeated as a jockey. What a neat story if this guy takes this horse all the way to the Kentucky Derby or something like that. I know he's got a million miles to go. Zoe, should this inspire you? You should come out of retirement. <laughs> that is not happening happening okay. anytime soon, but a very cool story. I actually had to preview that race for XBTV and First Racing, and, and I'm looking at it, and basically it was between the top two finishers in that race was who the betting public zoned in on. The horse who was second actually went off the favorite. But post time was absolutely terrific. I'm not sure if you look at the Equibase chart, do you really get the full feel for the race? Because I watched the race back. I didn't manage to watch it live because I was in New Orleans. But I mean, Eric was just a passenger on him and he just turned for home, looked behind him, looked this way. 
and just cruised on. I mean, it was a remarkable performance by the son of Frosted, who is now a perfect three for three. Camacho gets on this horse in the morning and apparently Brittany Russell was saying to him, well, he's kind of a handful. And Camacho said to her, well, if you want someone to ride him in the afternoon, they sure as hell better get on him in the morning because he likes to rear up a lot. So she was like, well, why don't I just put you on him? Um, Camacho, I have his uh, past performances down here. He's actually won 788 races as a jockey from over 4,700 starts. His best season was in 2005. Had a good season in 2010, making over a million dollars in purses. So, I mean, he's a jockey who can ride. He's obviously very good in the mornings. And kudos to Brittany for leaving him on. She did say that he's liable to stay with Maryland Breads and perhaps point towards the Tessio, which has actually been a good stepping stone over the years for perhaps the road to the Kentucky Derby. Or who knows, we may see him wind up in New York. But a really cool story for post time with a terrific name, and a terrific story. And if you're not rooting for him, you'd better be because horse racing at the end of the day is all about the stories. And this is a good story that people can get behind. Yeah, it really is a neat story. So she told me there's pretty much two options. They could, the owner is very Maryland centric. They have all those races like the Tessio, uh, a bunch of them beforehand. That perhaps could lead to a start in the previous. I, I, you know, I feel like maybe we're getting a little carried away. Uh, people might say, come on, what are you talking about? The Preakness source won a Maryland bread race. But Zoe, you you captured it. It was electrifying. And, you know, what did he beat? I have no idea, but it was really, really good. The other possibility is maybe showing up in a race in New York, like the Gotham or something like that. And, you know, if you if you pass that test, that could lead to almost anywhere. But I've never heard of a horse, especially a stakes horse, where they've entrusted the job of riding to the exercise rider. Remember, since 2017, he's had three mounts, all of them on this horse. But he looks, I, I mean, critique him. He looks fine on the horse. You would never look at him and say, oh, what's that guy, what's that guy doing? Hey, it's like riding a bike at the end of the day. I mean, he keeps fit in the morning. There's nothing like riding races. I will say that much. You could be the best exerciser in the world and work 10 horses a day, and you're not going to be race fit. So, if he ever has to get down and ride this horse, which doesn't look like he's had to in all three starts, he's just had to hang on, then you might see a bit of a problem. But but for now, Eric Camacho and post time, a match made in heaven and long may it continue because it's a, it's a fun story to get behind. But he is a guy with a lot of race riding experience, 4,700 mm -hmm. races, 788 wins. Yeah, who cares if he's ring rusty? Right. Right. Now, we all love these underdog stories, and there's another one opening day at Oakland Park on Friday. Tyler's <laughs> Tribe is coming back in the Advent Stakes after that debacle in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf where he bled and was banned off the track. I talked to trainer Tim Martin, says the horse is doing great. He's not real. He can go back on Lasix for this race. Um, it is at five and a half furlongs, and he looks uh, on dominant on paper. If he runs back to his you know, best races coming out of Prairie Meadows, he should win this race. And then the questions will begin again. Is he just a sprinter or might you try him in some of those Oaklawn races on the route to the Arkansas Derby and the Kentucky Derby? You know, I have no idea if he's going to go long or not. The trainer seems to think he will. But again, you know, talk about cool horses and cool stories. You know, the little horse out of Iowa uh, is coming in and now taking on the big league horses at Oaklawn Park. Though this race didn't come up very strong. He should win. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the PPs right now. It's a field of nine 
and he draws post position number five. He's three to five with Kylie Jordan back aboard him. And to quote um, the trainer, Tim Martin, he's an archipred. Basically, he, he broke him in Arkansas at his training center. He just never got a chance to run there. They took him to Prairie Meadows and ran him at Prairie Meadows in his juvenile year. So he's been there before and he's going to get a chance to show us what he's made of. He did have a bleeding episode in the Breeders' Cup. Hopefully he's had enough time to regroup from that. He will be back on Lasix. He has a high weight in here at 124 pounds. Some of these get in light with 117 pounds. A horse drawn right on the outside of the field. Happy is a choice. It's a pretty nice colt by Run Happy. So he gets in light there with first time Lasix. And we'll see what Tyler's tribe can do. But I know you'll be rooting for him because you are his number one fan. Oh, I'm, I'm his biographer. I love this horse. And that's what I mean. We, it's too early to answer the question. But um, I mean, do you see anything in this horse that suggests he can't go a distance or that he can go a distance? Uh, I mean, he might be able to go a distance at Oaklawn on a sloppy track. He's by Sharp Azteca out of, out of a mission impossible mare. I, I don't see why not. I do feel he'll be a better one turn horse. But the first time is the best time to try it. I've ridden so many horses that can't get two turns, but the very first time they do it, they get around the first turn and then they get to the second turn and they're like, oh, oh, okay, well, we'll go around this one too. And then they win. And then the next time you try and do it, it's not quite the same. So he'll try it. I mean, why wouldn't you? As long as he runs yeah. well enough on Friday to try it. We'll find out, and I'll certainly be rooting for him. Three to five in the morning line, not a great betting proposition, but uh, rooting for a good story. Um, it's a quiet weekend in racing coming up, but there is the grade one starlet out at Los Alamitos, otherwise known as the Bob Baffert Invitational. He's won it five straight times. And TDN rising star Faza is in there, will be the heavy favorite for Baffert to make it six in a row. What, what do you think of this one, Dory? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure who else is going to run against Faza. I do know she was a late supplement. She didn't break her maiden until the Delmar meet. She broke her maiden in the middle of November and was fantastic doing it. She won by three and a half lengths, but that was under wraps. Uh, they did supplement her for $10,000 to the $300,000 starlet, but the starlet's still a grade one, so why wouldn't you? I'm actually really surprised that she wasn't already supplemented. It, it may have been, sometimes these things get forgotten about. She forgot to be nominated. I, I don't know, but she most definitely will be the one to beat in the starlet. Yeah. 10,000 doesn't sound like a lot of money to pay for a horse. that's going to be the big favorite in a $300,000 race. So we will take a look at that. And then the following week, we'll have the Los Alamitos Futurity. I always root for the Los Alamitos meet. I, I think, you know, that it, it's, it's kind of the, uh, you know, forgotten about uh, for good reason with Del Mar and San Anita, but those people are trying really hard and to have to have come up with the thoroughbred meet has really been a big feather in the cap and really helped California racing. So horsemen support Los Alamitos. You don't do enough of that. These guys deserve uh, deserve uh, to have some good races out there. So good luck to them with the starlet. And it looks like we'll see another new jockey arriving in Southern California. Louis Contreras has arrived in Southern California, and he's a very, very good rider. He's going to join the ranks. He's actually going to ride the Los Alamitos, try and get his foot in the door with the uh, Jock's agent, Mike Siani, we'll see what he can do. But it looks like the jockey colony, they might have to build a bigger jocks room. I mean, it's going to be a terrific jockey colony here this winter at Santa Anita. You know, and it's it's a good point, too, because it's gone from being arguably a real weak colony. I mean, you know, when you had, um, you know, a lot of people leave and 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 you, you had 
uh, you had we had Juan Hernandez, and then Mike Smith doesn't ride that much. And really, who else? Now you bring Pratt in, you bring um, Frankie Detorian, you bring John Velasquez, you bring Luis Contreras, and it's gone from from a uh, a weakness to a major strength overnight. It'll be very interesting to see what Detori can do. Um, I just wonder if he's going to get any mounts from Bob Baffert, and I, it, it's going to be so. There's so many people that you know Baffert is giving mounts to already. I don't know how he's going to fit Detori in. And if he doesn't, I think Tori's not going to be able to find that three-year-old he's looking for. But we'll he's see. Got, he's got plenty of horses. I think his main goal right now is to get back on country grammar and take him out to Saudi. I mean, that that could pay for your whole winter there, winning the Saudi Cup. Yeah, of course. Yes. So it'll it'll be good. And we also have the leading rider coming down from Woodbine as well. So oh, yeah, Kamora, very good rider Kimura, as well. Very Zuzi good Kimura rider. From Woodbine, yes. I think you'll see him on a lot of horses trained by one Phil DeMarta. Okay. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Lane's End. The Lane's End Stallion of the Week is West Coast. The champion three-year-old had his first two-year-olds this year, including Sally Sassy, who won the Golden Gate debutante on November the 25th, and Mars Express, who won the Eleanor Casey Memorial on the very same day. West Coast will stand for $10,000 in 2023. We'll be right back after this message from Lane's End. Tonalist, a four-time grade one winner with 11 triple-digit buyers, including the Belmont Stakes and the Cigar Mile. He's already living up to his potential as a sire with multiple graded stakes winners, including grade one winner Country Grammar and grade two winner Tonalist Shape, plus multiple six-figure yearling and two-year-old sales. Proven on the track, proven in the sales ring. Tonalist, standing at lane's end. The Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. With over 500 clients in the horse business, they have proven strategies to save you taxes. Learn more about how they can help you at www.greenco.com. And we welcome in now our Green Group Guest of the Week, Norman Lynn Cash, a guy in a very short period of time as an owner and trainer is making a lot of headlines. He's, of course, is the trainer of Beverly Park, that magnificent horse who's raced 28 times this year with 13 wins. Uh, Lynn, welcome. It's great to have you. I want to talk to you for a while because you're doing things so differently than most trainers do, running these horses, uh, you know, seven weeks, excuse me, seven days apart, two weeks apart, et cetera. But first of all, you, you kind of really did come out of the middle of nowhere. You've only been in the game for a while. What's your background and how did all this get started? Well, I was I was a roofing contractor for a lot of my life. And, and uh, we would go to where where hailstorms uh, happen and we would set up an office there and bring our group there and, and, and do roofing. And uh, we were in, I think it was 2011, we were in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was so surprised like, wow, I could drive to the Kentucky Derby. I'd always wanted to go. I'd never been able to go. I'd always been a, a huge fan. And so we drove to the Derby. We actually caught the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont that year. I think it was 11. It might have been 12. But it was the year that I'll have another one, the Derby. And it came out that, that I'll have another was bought at auction uh, just as a two-year-old uh, the year before by, uh, uh, I think, Doug O'Neill was a trainer. And and uh, I told my wife, I says, wow, we could we could we could own a thoroughbred. We could own a racehorse. How fun would that be? And so we kind of jumped in. We bought three that year, um, had a little bit of success, but but uh, 
not necessarily. And then, and then for about six or seven years, we were an owner of two or three on good years would, would, uh, would buy a couple at auction and on, on, on tougher years, we, we didn't have any extra money to, 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 to do that. And so, uh, after about six or seven years, I finally told my wife, I says, you know what? I think if we make a couple of small changes, I can make a living doing this. And so I kind of handed the reins of my roofing company to my children. And, and, uh, and we started claiming racehorses and, uh, so far we've, we've, you know, knock on wood so far we've, we've done well. Now, uh, it's very hard for an owner if they don't get really lucky or catch lightning in a bottle to make money year after year in this business. Were you aware of that? Um, I mean, did anybody tell you, Lynn, s- stay with your roofing business? That's guaranteed money. Training and owning horses is hard. Well, I, I figure I, I've, I've been, you know, we, we took a, I, I, I got, I got a, <laughs> a very expensive education over those six or seven years. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, with just, just a few racers, you know, the bills come in and, um, yeah, we, we, we experienced it firsthand how, difficult it is uh to, to 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 make a living doing that but but we you know as i evaluated things i thought the claiming uh i thought claiming would be better because then you've got less time before races you've got less the horses already fit uh you have some other things that uh that can go wrong and believe me there's a lot of things that can go wrong and have gone wrong but it seems like there's it seems like there's there's more things that can go right or it seems to work for us is, uh, and you know, we, we started running the horses probably a little more often than, than a lot of the, uh, than a lot of the status quo that, that uh, are, the, are the, are the industry standards. You know, I, I personally think 11 or 12 days is absolutely perfect and works for me. Uh, but a lot of times you can't find that race at 11 or 12 days. You either have to go in at, nine days or, or 19 or 20 days. And so if I have that option, I go nine days, as long as the horse is, is it fit and in good shape and, and, and uh, no issues. I go nine days every time instead of the 19 days for it. And, uh, you know, and, and again, we've had, uh, I, I think at, at 10 or 11 days, you can get 98% out of what the horse has to give you back. I think he's recuperated. He's, uh, you know, and he's ready to go. And because at, at, at nine or 10 days, usually you're, you're working the horse anyway after a race. You're, you're giving him a, an almost a race-like work. And I thought, well, maybe we should, just, we should just race him into fitness instead of work him into fitness. Now, you said you told your wife you think you can make a living doing this. Is it working? Um, you don't have to tell me exactly how much you're making, but you know, is this now something where it's it's more than just a uh, a hobby or a fun thing to do on the side? Is this how the Cash family now is putting food on the table? Yeah, we we've, we still have the roofing company that goes that uh, that my my kids run and and that provides for a lot of the the Cash family. But yeah, we are profitable. We're we're turning a profit. Uh, I think all but one month in eighteen months. We've turned a profit, which means we made more money than it cost us to 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 for the bills and so forth. And so and we had one had one month where we had uh, didn't get a lot of races in, and that was you know that was the month. But other than that, uh, we're a pretty sound and pretty profitable business. Built right stables is 
Now, did this change come about so far as profitability when you kind of, you know, saw the light and said, I can run these horses every nine days? Is, is that what happened? Is that what changed your fortunes? Well, I've, I've had some really good claims. You know, you, we, you talked about Beverly Park. I mean, that horse is, I think he's probably the epitome of the, of the short race, of the short rest for the race. Uh, but but for, if you look at the rest of them, they do from time to time run on the shorter rest. But, but the days have actually spread out a little bit. There was a time about a year ago. It was, <laughs> I was trying, I, I was trying to get things, trying to get landed on my feet last winter and, you know, did, you know, ran, ran some things and it, uh, and it didn't work. And so we, we, we stepped back and evaluated. And, and, uh, you know, if you, if you take Beverly Park out of, <laughs> out of contention, uh, you'd probably find that it, it's, it's not, I'm not running, I'm not waiting three weeks, but I'm not running the seven, eight days a lot, even though it doesn't bother me to, you know, my, I had a horse double crown that, that won the, the Kelso, which was a grade two. He was on seven days rest. You know, he, we felt like he didn't uh, get completely used up because he had a bad trip seven days earlier in the Maryland Millions uh, uh, classic race. He ran fourth that day and really could never get uh, free. But, and so we put him back in uh, the Kelso, which was in uh, uh, at Aqueduct and we're at 42 to one shot, but, but again, there was only six horses in the field, and sometimes races set up and things happen that uh, <laughs> that the unexpected comes in. But Lynn, when you see other trainers run horses five times a year, two months off in between races, I'm not saying that you know you know better than and or you're a better trainer than them, but it's so contrary to what you do. Do you scratch your head? You wonder why there's not more people doing it the way you're doing it? Well, one there's. You know, there, there's a lot of um, logistics involved. We've got about 50 horses and, and we ship. Uh, you know, we don't, we're not at a track where we just run at that track. And so there's a lot of shipping and a lot of logistics and a lot of work. But uh, I don't know what they – I've found what works for, works for us is doing this because, you know, I, I don't have any owners. And so – at the end of the month, if I don't earn enough purse money, I have to pull that out of out of my bank account instead of the company bank account. And so we we try to clear every month, and and uh, it just seems like just seems like we're getting good results. You know, we've uh, I don't know we're we're, we're winning about fifteen percent on the year. Uh, I think the last six months were closer to twenty because we had a really poor start at the beginning of the year last year trying to get my my feet under me and so forth and, and get things figured out, but it seems to be working for us. And so it, uh, you know, we, uh, so we, we reevaluate all the time. Sometimes it's like, wow, why did we do that? What were we thinking? And then other times it's like, man, we, that really worked out well. Now, uh, most of the horses you have are horses you claimed. You made some very good claims, none better than Beverly Park, but is there anything in particular, what do you look for when you claim a horse? One, I like to, you mentioned earlier, I like to see the lightly raced horses. You know, some of these horses that have only run five mm. or six times in a year, that is really, uh, uh, is really nice because, again, they, you know, we've, we've kind of got more of a blue collar barn. They're going to run uh, unless there's issues in our barn. And uh, I, I typically look for back class. I like a horse that has 
mm-hmm. ran really tough at some point in its life, and maybe it's not running well now, or maybe it had a layoff and 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 so forth, or or maybe uh, maybe the owners get frustrated and say, oh, let's just put it in and get a win because they're frustrated because maybe they're trying to get their bills paid. Right. And so we, uh, you know, I, I really like the, the two other than uh, back for the tag level, you know, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, 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 the two X, I call them. I, I really like that race to right. claim out of. We've had, well, we've probably got half a dozen that are just really monsters that have come out of that particular race and not for that, for that much money. Mm-hmm. Our, but my best claims I believe have been, Right. Uh, you know, 40, 40 and under, uh, even though I had Sir Alfred James, which was, he's probably, mm-hmm. he's earned the most for us. He's, he's my top horse, but uh, he was a 62.5 claim. But we've had, you know, Double Crown was a $40,000 claim. Eastern Bay uh, was, uh, he's won four race for us. He was a $35,000 claim. Uh, we've just got, been very lucky and very successful with, with the claims. Mm-hmm. And Lynn, right now, Beverly Park's becoming a fan favorite. I mean, this iron horse that is out there. Um, now, you run most of your horses a lot, but nothing like Beverly Park. Um, if you do the math, he averages a start every 12 days during the year. Is there anything in particular about this horse, his constitution, his makeup, that he is you know, the proverbial iron horse? Well, he's he's the most sound and healthy horse Uh I've, I've, that, I, that I've been around, um, you know, we've, uh, a lot of, as a matter of fact, he's, he's in at Mahoning on Monday, uh, for, for his 29th start, but, um, he, he just, he is very sound and the, and the type of race that he's running in, there are some really tough horses in there, but for the most part, a lot of the there, there's only the, for the most part it's not a complete full field of really really tough horses. He's running in a, in a starter five, which he runs the same in against the same race level, and he's not in for the claiming price, but he just runs over and over that in that starter five level. And you know he's uh, as we as we come towards the end of the year here, uh, I lose that starter five eligibility with him in a lot of the tracks around the country. Uh, you know in in thirty days here. There will be a few that I can still run for the whole two years, but but for the most part, it's uh, you know as soon, soon as we get to the to, to where he's he has no more tracks, uh, we'll give him we'll give him a little freshening and and uh, and then go see if he can he can win uh, at the at the two other than level and and you know see what he can do after that. Does he ever show any fatigue, any signs of wear and tear? Does he ever tell you, "Hey, boss, I need this week off"? <laughs> you know there. there there, there, there have been some that uh, there, there have been some races that that after the race, I've said, "Wow, he was again." The reason that we run second, or the reason we run second or third, was because he was maybe only at ninety six percent instead of a, a little more rest. But for the most part, when when he, you know, two three days after after he runs, he's back, you know, jumping. He's at the front of the stall. He's, uh, you know, just just out there and ready. To go, he's ready to go the track. If we if we hold him and make him gallop slow or jog, he he actually gets mad. You can just see him as he throws his head around, and he's he just he just he just wants to go. He's just such a competitor, you know. He's and 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 the and the iron horse it absolutely uh, fits him. 
you know, we've we uh, we've not had to do any work on him. We've, I mean, he's just there. He's he's just you know, he's had. We never have any any pressure in any of his joints. I mean, he's just a he's he's an incredibly sound horse. You know, he's just the epitome of of a workhorse. You know, he just goes out and even you know sometimes sometimes he gets a, a not the trip we want or sometimes racing happens and this happens and we didn't get a, a good hole or whatever, but every time he gives everything that he has, you know, sometimes he, you know, sometimes he, he, he goes too soon because he pushes out there and then we get caught at the wire and stuff, but you know, he gives everything he has every time. He's just such a, such a sweet and amazing horse. Right. Uh, Lynn, he's for all practical purposes, he's wrapped up the title of, he will be the winningest horse in 2022, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, whether you get 14 wins, 15 wins or not, there's no one that's even close to him. For someone who's relatively new to the game, what does it mean to you to have said, you know, I campaigned the horse that won the most races <laughs> of any horse well, the entire well, year? I, I can tell you that it's about 98% horse and 2% trainer. I just happened to grab mm-hmm. his, his coattail as he was, and he's drugged me, drugged me along with him. But but yeah, we're a good fit too because I think in a lot of barns, he wouldn't have had the opportunity for this because he wouldn't have had as many races. His win percentage probably would have been higher because on on three or three and a half weeks rest, he probably wins eighty five or ninety percent of his races uh, this year. And and uh, but but again, it just you know in, in at Stables, we we just have to weigh. You know, time versus t- time versus races versus time off and and versus purse money. You know, again, we're uh, I, I tell people that that this is a business, and, and I'm trying and, and I'm running a, a business that happens to be horses. You know, I have to do what's good for the horses, but I have to make business decisions too, so that the business turns a profit, so that so that we can keep doing this. And you know, we're growing. Uh, I don't know. We, you know, we're, we're growing. It seems like you know two or three horses a month were growing. I don't know, you know where it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when it stops growing, but but uh, you know I'm having the time of my life here. It's, it's it's you know they say oh I've changed careers, but but I don't know that I have because I don't know I can't call this work. You know it it, it just it's it's uh, you know this horse racing is addictive. Um, you said that back in time you did go to the sales and buy a few horses. Now you know you have one a graded stakes race in the Kelso. But do you ever see yourself, you know, trying to win at the stakes level um, and, and enable to, well, obviously, if you claim a horse and he's, he jumps up in class, is good enough to win a race like the Kelso. That's one thing. But would you ever go to the sales, maybe not spend a million dollars on a horse, but spend one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand on the horse? Would you ever like to take this way of doing things and transfer it from the claiming ranks into graded stakes ranks? Oh, I, I would I would I would love uh, the opportunity to. Uh, to have two-year-olds come into the barn, you know, it, I mean, what what a dream to have, mm-hmm. you know, half a dozen fifty thousand dollar two-year-olds come into the barn that have the potential that that maybe they could work into something. You know, it, it seems seems like I'm seems like here at our barn, if if I look at at most of the horses, probably eighty-five or ninety percent of the horses that we claim, they do move up. They move up as far as uh, the, the the speed ratings that they do the level that they're running etc um you know 
but there's still that 10 or 15% that either don't move up or, or stay where they're at. And, 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 but the nice thing is it's it, with, with the claiming, it seems like even if they don't move up, you don't get hit really hard. You know, sometimes when you, you know, the, the most expensive horse uh, that I bought at auction was, was 155. Uh, and I still have him in the barn and, and, and I've gotten out on him. He, he won a maiden special at, at Churchill Hippodrome is his name. But before that, I had spent a hundred thousand on on uh, one horse, and I mean this this turned into to a, a two or two hundred fifty thousand dollar loss that one horse because you know two and a half years later uh, we we gave the horse away to get him off the books to stop paying you know to stop paying the bills on him and you know to keep a horse for for two years and he was, you know, he's a hundred thousand dollar gelding running in a maiden five. And, and it just, you know, it just, it, it see to me, it seems like when you, when, for, for me, when we get into those types of things, it seems like you're risking a lot of, 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 uh, you're risking a lot where it seems, you know, th- this is proven and working. And, and, but, 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 so we do venture out a little bit here and there, but, but again, you gotta, you know, you, I, you know, I limit myself to two maidens a year. You know, I, I kind of think that maidens are sometimes maidens are, are, are bought on hopes and dreams. And, and so the price for hopes and dreams is a lot sometimes. And, and so I, I, I try to claim just two, two maidens, two maidens a year. Uh, so that I can have that dream of one of them coming up and, 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 uh, you know, maybe running in the derby someday, but, but for the most part, just, you know, we just, we do what works. If it ain't broke, we don't fix it. And that'll probably always be the, 80 or 90 percent of of our of our, our stable there is is the the basis you know the basic you know claiming and trying to claim good horses and surprisingly we run in six or seven or eight stakes a month with the claimers you know we we don't uh, right. you know, we've got but but again it we we don't you know we were probably in over our heads uh in the cigar we ran in the cigar mile last sunday we were in over the heads. The horse that that won the grade two didn't like the track, and so. But but again, it was it was still fun. It's still fun to say, "Wow!" To throw your hat in the ring and say, "Wow, we're we're kind of there." You know, it, we're having we're having fun along the way. Terrific. Well, Lynn, thanks so much for your time and congratulations with all your success. Uh, will Beverly Park get a, two more starts before the end of the year? Or do you have anything after the Mahoning race? Probably one more after that race. Yeah, absolutely. That would make 30 starts for him in the year. Just remarkable what what you've accomplished. So, well, Lynn, thank you so much for being our guest this week on the TDN Writers Room Podcast. Okay, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much to Norman Lynn Cash for joining us, or perhaps just joining Bill. I was in New Orleans and completely forgot about the time. You know how it is. Happy times in New Orleans. But the Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. As this week's Guest of the Week, Norman Lynn Cash, you will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. Learn more at www.greenco.com. We'll be right back after this message from The Green Group. Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website 
website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Breds. Breed them. Raise them. Race them. We all win. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by the KTOB. Kentucky Breds swept all four grade one races over the last two weeks. Proxy in the grade one Clark, Mind Control in the Cigar Mile, Speaking Scout in the Hollywood Derby, and Regal Glory in the Matriarch. Well, there's a good story in the TDN this week written by T.D. Thornton, the latest on Jason Service, who was really the last uh, domino to fall in the big scandal, the doping scandal that goes all the way back almost three years now to March of 2020. And uh, it appears that he's ready to enter a guilty plea. And my what I would say to Jason is, what took you so long? Um, he was going to take this until this news came out. He was going to take this to trial where he had zero chance of winning, not not one percent, zero chance of winning. So that brings up a lot of factors. Number one, what are his legal bills? How much has he been paying out of his pocket to be represented all this time by a very high profile lawyer who I'm sure charges an awful lot of money? And the other question, if you take it to trial and you lose, you're going to get a maximum sentence. You've lost your any bargaining chip that you had. And, you know, most of these guys in the scandal have been going away for like three years, something like that. Service is facing a lot more time than that. He's up for th three counts of this misbranding and uh, misbranding thing, whatever they call it, uh, drug adulteration uh, thing. But the key to this, in, there was a superseding indictment that came out after this happened. And they put in a mail and wire fraud charge, conspiracy charge as well on that. That's 20 years in jail. Jason Service, if he's not careful here, could be facing literally the rest of his life in prison. If so, good riddance, that's where he belongs. But, you know, I just I've never understood the strategy here. Was he deluding himself into thinking he was going to go to trial and be acquitted? It just wasn't going to happen. So maybe in the next week or so, we'll find out that he pleads guilty. Then we'll get a sentence, uh, you know, somewhere down the line after that. And then this will really finally be over. He's the last one out there. Everyone else has been dealt with at this point. I guess that raises the question if there'll be another set of indictments coming out after this. I don't think there will be. I think this is it. It's, you know, they dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. The federal government is going to move on. But it looks like Jason Service is going to spend some time in prison right where he belongs. Uh, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more. And I think perhaps the more discerning factor of him maybe going to plead guilty is that his vet changed his plea to guilty as well, which is going to hammer the nail in his coffin, so to speak. So um, I don't know, maybe he was getting bad advice. I've, I've got no idea why it took so long. I mean, when you've got guys like Navarro pleading guilty and getting five years, in my opinion, should have got a whole lot more than that. Um, why wouldn't you follow suit? Yeah, I think he's going to get more than five years because oh, of this extra, uh, oh, yeah. extra charge sure. of, of the... Yeah, they didn't go after Navarro on that kind of charge. They stuck to the drug adulteration and misbranding charges with Navarro. So he's going to spend a lot of time in jail. And then, you know, maybe we can racing can move on from this very sorry, sordid chapter 
And, um, you know, hopefully we won't ever see anything like this again, because let's hope that, you know, again, I don't want to go into this because we could spend another 45 minutes talking about Haiza and what's going on there. But hopefully we're, we're you know, the sport is ready to turn a corner and, and have a new new era of more integrity whatsoever. So there was another kind of controversial case. I think yeah, go we ahead. need to see more stuff like this. And, and that's basically what Heiser was trying to bring in with five stones, because the reason they got caught is not because of the testing. It was because they were investigated. They were right. wiretapped. Right. Racing needs more of this. I mean, we don't need more bad press and saying this guy's cheating and this guy's cheating. But this is how these guys were caught. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things that we've been bringing up that, you know, the, the, before Heizo, the, the system of just doing drug testing doesn't work. I mean, none of these horses for Navarro and service ever fail the drug test. You know, I have mixed feelings about that. I want to see the bad guys get caught. Obviously, I just hope there are not that many more bad guys out right. there that, you yeah. know, but whatever, we'll find out. I mean, this was an ugly chapter in horse racing and uh, I'm sure everyone would like to put it behind him. Um, so anyways, let's move on to another case uh, similar of uh, alleged drug offenses. Richard Baltus uh, was announced this week. Boy, they hammered him. Uh, CHRB gave him a one year suspension and he allegedly was uh, injecting horses on race day. Um, the, the drugs Dosing. were something. Let's see. Uh, uh, Dosing. Dosing. What's that? Not injecting. Dosing. An oral syringe. Oh, no, okay. Yeah. No right. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, something called Palinol. I don't know what they are, whatsoever. This thing is is messy, Zoe. Um, first of all, this happened months ago. I have no idea why the CHRB waited all this time to, to announce the suspension. And, and in the interim, he was banned by, by Santa Anita, the other tracks. He's countersuing for $12 million. Um, the one thing that I would say, though, you know, again, I, I don't know Baltus that well. Uh, he deserves his day in court. Let's see what happens. And he's apparently going to get his day in court because he's really fighting this. But the one thing I would say is, you know, those of us who sit on the sidelines and say, we're tired of the slaps on the wrist. You know, this guy got caught. He gets 14 days, et cetera. Tired of the slaps on the wrist. Well, if you're tired of slaps on the wrist, you got to applaud the CHRB for giving this guy a one-year suspension. I mean, that is, you know, there is a suspension with a lot of teeth in that. The only thing I'd say is this looks like on the surface, this case is not as simple as cut and dried. You know, he got caught, bingo, goodbye. Um, we'll see how it winds its way through the courts, et cetera. But, um, and another thing too is you talk about um, how they caught service in Navarro with drug testing. They caught Baltus with surveillance cameras. And I've long wondered, and we've talked about this on the show, why isn't there a surveillance camera in every barn in every racetrack in the country? And then you would, you know, this is how they, they went about this here. So uh, in Santa Anita has been great about this. They've been really trying very hard to, you know, run a clean show. And they're the ones responsible for putting the cameras in the barn. So uh, one year suspension, good for this, uh, good for the, having the cameras in the barn. We'll see what happens with this. Yeah, uh, the cameras are everywhere. And I think um, basically the assistant thought the camera wasn't working. I, I don't really want to get into it, but um None of the horses tested positive for anything illegal so far to speak. He got his 12 months, which is great, but essentially he's going to get 19 months because he hasn't been allowed to work or enter any horses since last May. So it's taken a long time to come around. And I think the one thing we're going to see moving forward is the CHRB, the first racing, Santa Anita, really coming down on people. And that's what they've done with trainer Richard Bolters. He's going to fight it. He's going to appeal. And this is probably going to be drug out for some time. But as of now, 
he's he's not even allowed to run any horses here. Yeah, I mean, even if he appeals, he's not going to be able to race because no. that's a that's not a CHRB thing. It's the the tracks in California getting together and, and not allowing him to run. So um, no matter what happens, it's going to be a long time before uh, he gets back in action. So uh, as they say, stay tuned for that. Absolutely. Oh, and you've probably never seen the cameras at Santa Anita. It is amazing. No. You could go into the room. There is literally a camera in every stall, everywhere. Gone are the days when someone used to like run in to, to go to the bathroom and relieve themselves in the back of the stall. Because if you do, you're going to be on camera. You are definitely going to be on camera. So you can applaud Santa Anita for that too, because there is nothing that goes goes by without being seen on camera here. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by XBTV. You can go in every day for free and take a look at works like this. XBTV's work of the week is Queen Goddess, seen working here in 102 and 1 on December the 4th. She ran second to Nege Blanche in the Grade 3 Santa Barbara in her last start, and she is a Grade 1 winner. XBTV.com for all your racing needs. We'll be right back. All the thrills. Fraction of the Bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining West Point Thoroughbreds can have you standing in the winner's circle for just a fraction of the price. To find out more, go to westpointtv.com. And it's not all about Flightline. West Point Thoroughbreds is closing in on the end of the year. They already have $8.5 million in earnings. They have 47 wins on the year. So we'll be watching to see if they can get to 50 by the close of December. Bill, that's pretty good. 50 wins, and it's not all about Flightline. Well, three of them were for Flightline, so that would be 47 if they get to 50 for other horses. So congratulations to West Point. Another terrific year for them. Yeah, absolutely. WestPointTB.com. This week's Remy Block cartoon is in, and it's a takeoff on the referees at the World Cup but this time, the referee is adjudicating all that's going on with his son horse racing. He's throwing yellow cards out all over the place, looks confused. So uh, racing meets the World Cup in our convoluted, weird way that we are uh, battling the courts for everything that's going on with the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act. So anyways, that wraps up another edition of the TDN Writers Room. I want to thank Zoe Cadman. Randy Moss will be back next week. I also want to thank our producer, Patty Wolf, our associate producer, Katie Petrudiak, and also our editors, Aliyah LaRocca and Anthony LaRocca. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us.